It's so good to see you this morning. Would you take out your Bible, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5, and we will start reading in verse 5 here in just a moment, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 5. I'm excited about uh, this morning and our time together. I'm excited about the gospel meeting that is coming up the end of this week, uh, if the Lord wills. Uh, Tyler does a great job. Um, He's a great young preacher. I can call him that because I think he's like two years older than me, so I know he's a great young preacher. Uh, We've heard him before. He was here a number of years ago, um, and he really does an excellent job, very practical, very relatable, so I hope that you can come and join us for that. And then Stephanie and I want to invite um, all those in junior high and high school and their parents um, to our house on Saturday, Um, our Our meeting time will be 2 p.m. here uh, for our gospel meeting, but at 6 o'clock we want to invite uh, the high school and junior high and their parents to our house. Um, And Tyler, we've invited him to come and and do that devotional for all of us. So we hope you can join us for for that as well. Um, And you can talk to Stephanie for more details um, on that, or me, uh, but if you really want the details, talk to Stephanie. Um, In the Bible... There is perhaps no more common or powerful image for faithful living, for living our lives, than that image of walking one foot in front of another. Step by step, we do what it is God calls us to do. Over and over, that is what God calls us to do. He calls us to walk in His ways, to find Him in our service to Him, in the day-to-day rhythms of life, to make Him as much a part of our lives as walking is. What if? What if we considered God, consulted God, and made God an active part of every step we took? What would that look like? What would that be like? Uh, in, in our age, we, uh, we measure our steps. I doubt they did that in the ancient world. I doubt that they, you know, had some way that they were going to count how many steps they took in a day, mainly because uh, they were motivated to stay, take steps. That's how they traveled. Uh, that's how most of them worked, right? Walking was just a part of life, much more so than us. But, but we measure our steps. We have our, our Garmin's and our Apple Watches and our Fitbits and those sorts of things. Who in here counts their steps um, that way? Yeah, we got quite a few of you. Uh, in, during the week of camp every year in June, uh, I measure my steps. I get about, I average about 20,000 steps a day during camp. Um, normally it's 5,000 or less just in a normal day. But you think about that. Think about our steps and every step that we take during a day. What if every single one of those steps, be it 1,000 or 20,000, what if every step was directed by God. How would my life be different if that was true? This image of walking as a metaphor for living shows up very early in the Bible. We think about Adam and Eve in the garden. We're not told explicitly that they walked with God in the garden. Usually we think about it in those terms, but we are told in Genesis chapter 3 that God came into the garden and they heard the sound of him walking in the garden. And I assume if God was walking in the garden in some way, when they had perfect fellowship with him, they walked with God in the garden. But we know that Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3. And they were put out of the garden. And Genesis chapters 4 uh, through about chapter 8 or so 
shows us how this sin in the garden led to death. And the warning of God was true that they would surely die if they partook of the forbidden fruit. Death permeates these chapters. Everyone dies in Genesis chapters 4 through 8. Uh, It begins, this section begins with a murder when Cain kills his brother Abel and and he's forced to to walk across the earth uh, in a different way, not walking with God, but walking without God. There's a genealogy that that shows up uh, in chapter 5 that that talks about the family tree from Adam down through Noah. And this genealogy is unique in the Bible. Not that people die, people die in every genealogy, but that that reality of death is explicitly mentioned and repeated in this genealogy. Look in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 5. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. We drop down to verse 8. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh in verse 11, and he died. Canaan in verse 14, and he died. And so on and so forth throughout this entire genealogy. We see then in chapter 7 that everyone dies in the flood. You turn over to chapter 7 and verse 20. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 20. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And every man. That's the rule. That's what happened. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So God destroyed all things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. And so we see that death is the outcome. Death is the outcome for everyone in these chapters with only two very notable exceptions. There's a man named Enoch in that genealogy that we read that does not die. And there's a man named Noah and his family who does not die in the flood. What was it that set these two men apart from all others? Well, it was the way that they walked. They were men who are described as those who walked with God. And that's what we're called to do as well. I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, for example. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, blameless in all his generations. Noah walked with God. And with just that description, we might not know exactly what it is the text is talking about. I mean, did Noah have some experience where God appeared to him and in this one moment he just walked with God and because of that God knew who he was and and what a good man he was and how blameless he was? That's not the case. And the reason why we know that this is more than just a one-time sort of thing is because of the way Enoch is described in the fifth chapter. Uh, Go back to chapter 5 and verse 21. Again, every other person in this genealogy we say, and he died, no matter how long they lived. Even Methuselah, the man who lived the longest, 969 years, he died at the end of those years. But in verse 21, we see Enoch. 
And he lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. He was Methuselah's father. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. 300 years. Uh, That's a lot of days. That's a lot of steps. You think about 100,000 days or thereabouts for 300 years and all of the steps that Enoch took in all of those days, it says that he walked with God. He and Noah were men who walked with God. This was their life. And what we learn from that is the only way to avoid death is to walk with God. There is one more character in Genesis who we see walks with God. And you can probably guess who it is. If you turn to Genesis chapter 17, God speaks to this man, a man named Abram, that God is going to name Abraham. And God says to him in establishing a covenant with him in Genesis chapter 17, And Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And we see that that's exactly what Abraham did. Everyone else knew this about him too. If we turn to Genesis chapter 24 and verse 20, Genesis chapter 24, excuse me, and verse 40. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 40. Abraham sends his servant to get a bride for Isaac. And when this servant is describing his master and what his master has told him, this is what he says in verse 40. But he, Abraham, said to me, The Lord, Yahweh, before whom I walk, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. Abraham expected God to work in his life, to provide a a wife for his son, because Abraham saw himself as someone who walked before God, who walked with God. And we see this theme of walking with God throughout the rest of the Bible. Both Old and New Testaments talks about the need for servants of God to walk with God with God. I'll give you just one example from the New Testament. In the book of Ephesians, we see eight different times in this relatively short book, it talks about our need to walk with God. At the end of the book, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, when it's describing this armor that we put on in order to to live the Christian life and, and avoid and fight against our adversary, the devil, the last thing that we're supposed to put on in this process It says that our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That the gospel is what prepares us to walk this life that we're supposed to walk as Christians. It tells us where we walk, why we walk, and how we walk as Christians. We're prepared to walk by the gospel, which instructs us, as described earlier in this same book. Notice some of the things that he says. In chapter 2, in verse 2, he says, You once walked according to the course of this world, but now you walk in good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them as Christians. So, he says in chapter 4, in verse 1, 
walk worthy of the calling which with, with which you were called. Which means, verse 17, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind, not knowing how to walk or where to walk or why to walk. But instead, as Christians, you walk in love. You walk as children of light. You walk carefully or circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. This is our walk as Christians. This this is our lives as Christians. John says in, in John, uh, 3 John in the fourth verse, only one chapter in, in 3 John, he's really beginning this book after the address to these brethren, and he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. It's not just that his spiritual children know the truth. That would be good. It's not just that they can apply the truth to the situations of life, which would be better. It's that every part of their life is directed and consumed by this truth. They walk in truth. Their very steps are guided by the truth. And maybe there is no better or, or more favorable summary of the life of a Christian than, than what he says right here, that they walk in the truth. Um, we think about dropping our kids off uh, at college. Well, that was announced, right? That's, that's about to happen for some of you. Um, I don't know what that's like. Um, I know what a mess my own parents were when they dropped me off. Uh, we've, we've had like a little taste of this, dropping Maddie off at camp, right? Like she's in a different state. She's with all of these other people, and we know she's in good hands, but it, you know, it feels kind of weird. We're dropping her off. What report would you like to hear? about your children if you heard nothing else about what they were doing about their activities about who they were with about who their friends were but you heard on good authority this one phrase that your child walks in the truth how would you feel what comfort would it bring and praise God Praise God when our children, those who go off from this place, praise God when they walk in truth. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9 says this, A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Do you plan your way through life or does God direct your steps. Those are the choices. And you say, well, wait a second, but can't both of those things be true? I guess they can in one sense, but the, the real question is, do you allow God to be the one who directs your steps, or do you just make all these plans yourself, and God has to get on board with what you do? You know, we tend to compartmentalize the areas of our life. I, I think that's just something that we do. You know, I'm this person at work. I'm this person at home. I'm this person at church. I'm this person on vacation, whatever the case might be. But what this verse and, and dozens of others in the Bible tell us is, as Christians, that's not the way it works. Our very walk, our very life should be directed by God in every aspect. And when I'm at work, the Lord directs my steps. And when I'm at play, the Lord directs my steps. And when I'm at school, the Lord directs my steps. And when I'm at home, the Lord directs my steps. And when I'm on vacation, the Lord directs my steps. In every relationship, in every circumstance, in every situation that I find myself in, this should be true. 
The Lord directs my steps, and that means that I walk with God. We are walking by the Lord's direction. And that's primarily because we don't have enough wisdom to direct our own steps. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Thinking about parents again, and, and we think about school beginning and all of those sorts of things. Um, who has a kid in here who thinks they can direct their own steps? Well, maybe that's not fair to ask you to raise your hand. And yet some of you are like, yeah, absolutely. I've got one or two of those, right? And you as a parent, you say, well, yeah, to a certain extent you can, but you know, there's some things you don't understand. And there are some things that I'm telling you, this is what you need to do, and you're going to have to trust me. I need to direct your steps on this if you want things to turn out right. How much more the creator of the universe, who gave us the very legs that we walk with, who gave us the very brains that direct those steps, how much more is he able to direct our steps in ways that we do not know, in ways that we cannot see or even comprehend. And yet, by faith, we believe that He can and that He does. And I do not have this capacity in and of myself. You may not understand where you're going to go or end up, but the, the Lord God can direct your steps if, if you allow Him to. Proverbs 20 and verse 24, A man's steps are of the Lord, how then can a man understand his own way? Acknowledge God in all that you do, and he will direct you where to go and what to do. One more passage from Proverbs. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 3, if you would. Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, actually, this, uh, this chapter in Proverbs goes together. We know that, that much of Proverbs has just pithy statements that that don't necessarily follow a flow. They're, they're about a number of different things in life. But this whole section is about um, following God's law, following God's direction, following God's commands, following after the things that God would have us to do and keeping them uh, before our eyes and in our minds. And in verses 5 and 6, this is the image that he gives. Trust the Lord with all your heart. If you do that, then you're not going to lean on your own understanding. I trust Him more than I trust myself. Is that true? Do you trust God more than you trust yourself? I mean, surely we as Christians would all say that we do. But what does that look like if we actually do? In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. Do I acknowledge that the very steps that I take are directed by God. You ask me, how is that possible? How does God direct my steps? Well, I know some ways for sure that He does. I know that God directs my steps through His Word. When I read and study His Word with a receptive heart, when I seek to know Him as He is, He directs my steps in that. I know He directs my steps through answered prayer. When I ask God fervently and importunately what to do and how to live, I believe that He answers those prayers for faithful Christians. 
I know that he directs my steps through the wisdom of godly people when I seek out and apply that wisdom to my life. I know that he directs my steps through the experiences of life that he sends my way to give me applied wisdom. When I view each step as a as an opportunity, as a moment to take the things of God and apply them to what I'm doing right now. God directs my steps when my mind and heart is open in that way. Beyond that, I cannot explain to you how exactly God is going to direct each step I take, but I believe that He does. I have faith that He does. And I strive to walk that way. I strive... To walk by faith and not by sight. That phrase is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, but I, I think it's helpful for us to read the context there in 2 Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 16. Now, it's toward the end of the reading that we actually get that phrase. Uh, We walk by faith and not by sight. But I'm going to tell you this is what that's talking about, right? And so imagine as we read here, how does someone who walks by faith and not by sight, specifically I want you to ask the question, how does this kind of person view death? How does someone who walks by faith, how do they view the end of physical life, death, okay? Verse 16, therefore we, we Christians, we who walk by faith, not by sight, We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, But the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know, we have this confidence, we believe this by faith, that if our earthly house, this tent, my mic's right there, this tent is destroyed, we have a building, another tent. A building from God, a house not made with hands, this is permanent, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our our habitation, our dwelling which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up in life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, here in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, and not by sight. For we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's what we're desiring, desiring, to be absent from this body and present with the Lord. So how does someone like this view physical death? Well, he describes it as an eternal weight of glory, being clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. Physical death is being swallowed up 
by life, true life, eternal life. Like Enoch and Noah, death is not to be feared because we want to be present with the Lord because the Lord is always present with us. We walk by faith with Him. So what does that look like? Well, this is a Christian who honestly, truly walks by faith in his or her life daily. They walk by faith and not by sight. When they get up in the morning, the decisions that they make, they place it fully in the hands of God. They truly believe that God will direct them throughout the day. They see the spiritual, the eternal, not with their eyes, but with their hearts, with their minds. Their inner man is is being renewed day by day. And so they pray to God according to His will, expecting to be answered, and they are answered. They see the workings of God in their lives and in the lives of those around them, not because it's miraculously revealed to them and God whispers in their ear, this is what they're doing, but because they have faith that God keeps His promises and God hears His people. They have faith and believe that. These are the ones of whom the world was not worthy, as Hebrews 11 and verse 38 says, like Enoch and Noah and Abraham who are mentioned in that chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, they don't belong here on this earth, not really, because their citizenship is in heaven. They desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God For he has prepared a city for them. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 16. How do you recognize this kind of Christian? Well, they carry with them a sense of joy despite their circumstances. They're not perfect, but they are complete. They are blameless as Noah and Abraham were described. They're satisfied. They're content in whatever state they are in. They think first of Christ, then of others. And entering the spiritual realm to to people like this is just going to be another step in the process. Just another step in their walk. Like Enoch, God will take them. Yes, they may die physically if the Lord doesn't come again. But spiritually they are alive now and they will be alive then. So be mindful of your footsteps. Be a Christian like this who walks with God. And by way of application, let me encourage you to walk with God by doing three things this morning. Number one, you want to walk with God like this, this year, from this day forward? Well, I encourage you to rely on God in every decision. Every decision? Yes, every decision. For every decision I make, I want God to be glorified in that decision. I want His will to be done. I want His righteousness to be done to be produced. He will direct me if I rely on Him. Walk with God by relying on prayer for every circumstance. Uh, We sing a song sometimes, and it's a good question to ask. Did you think to pray? You know, ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? So on and so forth. Um, And that's a good question to ask, but we might as well say, ere you left your room this morning, did you think to breathe? You know, did you think to walk? Maybe we shouldn't have to think to pray. It should be something that we get to the point of just doing because it's a part of our life. 
as much a part of our life as walking, as taking steps is. How do we get to that point? Well, here's a couple of things that I want you to try. Maybe, maybe this week, pray every time you walk. Tie it literally to that activity of walking. Uh, uh, that gets the blood flowing. That gets our minds thinking. Well, if we're thinking, let's, let's think about praying. And if you pray five to 20,000 steps a day, that's living in prayer, isn't it? But I, I want to suggest even more than that. Uh, we, we live a pretty stationary life as 21st century Americans. That's just the reality for many of us. And I think you're going to think that I'm going crazy, and maybe I am, but, but here's the thing I want you to suggest, want to suggest to you. Try praying every time you think. Like, really? Praying every time you think? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's read verses 16 through 18. Verse 16, rejoice always. How often do we rejoice? Always. Every circumstance. We find something to rejoice. There's always a reason to rejoice as a Christian. Uh, verse 18, in everything give thanks. When do we give thanks? In everything, every circumstance, everything that happens, where there's an opportunity to give thanks to God. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We skip verse 17, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Uh, there's a number of explanations for that. Uh, some people suggest it's the attitude we have. We have a prayerful attitude in everything that we do. I'm not exactly sure what a prayerful attitude is, but, but I can see that idea. Uh, what I've taught in times past, and I think it's true, um, certainly, is that we pray without ceasing, meaning nothing ceases our prayers. Nothing hinders our prayers. Nothing stops us from praying. You know, whatever else goes on in your life, you're never going to stop praying. You're always going to come back to prayer in every circumstance. The problem with that explanation is, how often do we rejoice? I mean, we take that pretty literally, right? We should be rejoicing always. How often do we give thanks? Well, in every circumstance, in everything, we should be giving thanks. How often do we pray? We pray without ceasing. Uh, I don't know what your mind is like. I've never been in it. I know what my mind is like. I'm in my own head too often, I'm afraid. And I've got this kind of stream of consciousness that's just going on all the time. I've got this inner monologue for life and distractions and what's going on around me, all those sorts of things. Well, what if, what if I made those thoughts a conversation with God? Sometimes out loud, sometimes in my head. What if every thought or almost every thought was filtered through an address to God? What if your inner monologue, do you have an inner monologue? You know, they say some people don't, you know, and that's, that's cool, you know. Uh, you're probably more content than the rest of us. But what if that inner monologue became an inner dialogue? A conversation between me and my God. Something I've been trying uh, the last few days as I've thought about this concept. A dialogue between me and God. What would that look like? I get up in the morning. God, here's my plan for the day. Who thinks about their plan for the day when they get up? Yeah, a lot of us write that down, right? Here's my plan for the day. God... Direct my steps in this plan. The thinking isn't much different except now God's involved in that process and His will is being asked to be done in what we're doing. And maybe we get up in the morning and we need our coffee and, and we say, God, I'm tired. 
Please give me the strength and energy I need today to do your will. Direct my steps. Here's, what I'm going, here's what's going on at work right now. Here's what I'm trying to figure out in my job. Direct my steps. God, I remember that time I did such and such. Thank you, or I'm sorry. God, direct my steps. God, I'm not very happy with this person right now, be they in front of me or on an email or a Zoom or whatever the case might be. I'm not very happy with them right now. This is what I'm about to say back to them. God, direct my steps. God, I'm being tempted right now. Lead me not into temptation. Direct my steps. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here and I'm going to read this book or watch this show for a while. Help me to enjoy the good and avoid the evil. Direct my steps. That sunset is beautiful. I see your creation. Direct my steps. When I was walking up here, taking the steps, short walk right up here, um, I prayed to God. I prayed that he would be with me as I addressed you this morning, that my words would be his words, that he would direct my steps. And in this sermon this morning, you know what you've been a part of? You've been a part of my prayer to God. Because I've asked him to filter these words through him. What if our thoughts became prayers? What if we prayed without ceasing? And I'm going to strive to continue to pray my thoughts the rest of this day and tomorrow and as I go about my life. So rely on prayer in every circumstance. And then finally walk with God by relying on His Word every day. I want you to turn to one more passage if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we see Moses, another godly man. And his life is about to come to an end on this earth. And he is admonishing the people of God as they're about to enter the promised land. He's admonishing them to do what God has called them to do. He repeats the Ten Commandments in chapter 5. But notice what he says in verse 33, Deuteronomy 5:33. You shall walk, hear that? You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Now we're pretty familiar with chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. But really that comes in the context of what he said in verse 33. He said, you need to walk in all of the ways of the Lord. This needs to be your life, your daily activities. So what does that look like? Well, let's keep reading in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess. You need to walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, verse 33, and he says, here's what he's commanded you, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Again, that's what he said back in verse 33. It's going to be well with you. He's going to prolong your days. So he's giving, fleshing out that concept of walking with God. So verse 3. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, 
that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly in the land as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and everything that you are, every step that you take, you love God. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, in your innermost part of you. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall walk, uh, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He says everywhere you look, everything that you do, you should be reminded of what the Lord has commanded you. And I understand that what's in view there is, uh, is the law of Moses. But we remember what John said, that I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth, the gospel, God's revealed direction for our lives. For them, life was lived in God's word. That's what God demanded. And it should be no different from us. We should read and study every day. We should reference God's scriptures every day. We should make application with our family every day. We should make it our walk to do this. Whether, as we sang just a moment ago, we're walking alone at Eve and looking at the stars of the sky it brings us back to God and His Word. Whether, as Pat talked about in his talk, we're sitting beside the sea, not catching any fish, and we think about God and it brings us back to His Word. Every day should be a day spent in God's Word. And if it is, then our footsteps will be directed by that Word. Our cry should be what we find in Psalm 119, 133. Direct my footsteps... According to your word, let no sin rule over me. Now certainly there are more applications that we could make beyond these three. But if we do these three, if we rely on God in every decision, if we rely on prayer in every circumstance, if we rely on His word every day, then the Lord will, will direct our steps. And so I ask you, I ask you to think about your life a genealogy, a family tree, summarizes a life so shortly, doesn't it? They lived, they had kids, they lived this long, they died. If a genealogy were written of my family, what would be said of me? Would I have that little extra written about me as it was with Enoch? Reagan walked with God 37 years and had daughters Reagan walked with God and did not die spiritually because God took him. Would you be remembered like Enoch? To come into that kind of relationship with God, we're about to sing, is only a step, it's only a step away. Come, put to death your former life in repentance, put Christ on in the burial of baptism, and as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, if you put Christ on in baptism, if you're buried with Him in baptism, you can be raised to walk 
in newness of life. That your life is now directed step by step by the creator of the universe. If that applies to you this morning, won't you come now while together we stand and while we sing. Hear this report.